is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? Morgan Freeman's brother, Jordan Freeman. We sound very alike, but I work as a surveyor in the Great Yarmouth area. It's a normal life, but a life I learn to love. Hello to everyone. Welcome to Box 39, the treasure chest of magazine, music and the funny side of life rooted in our community here on 106.6 FM, Colm Radio. I'm Bill Lawrence and I'm so pleased to say I'm joined by Ian Tallentire and Mike Harwood today. And the theme of our show, Ian, is... Well, Bill, it's art. What is it? Is it good? And where can I get it? And during the course of the show, I shall be painting my own artistic interpretation of all the action here in the Studio One Colm Radio Towers, using acrylics on goatskin. And a facsimile of my finished work will be imprinted on all our new range of Box 39 merchandise, appearing soon on our Box 39 shopping channel. So, let's start our show. Let's open Box 39 once more. You're listening to Out of Box 39 with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen and Ian Tallentire here on Cone Radio. What is art? I mean, that's a good question because 100 years ago, Marcel Duchamp famously brought a urinal from a hardware shop and he brought it and tried to exhibit it in an exhibition. And pretty much from that day on, the idea, the concept that anything could be art was sort of brought into the art world. What is art is a sort of socially constructed thing that a certain number of people need to agree on. And there's sort of various tests that you can do to sort of work out whether what you're looking at is art. First thing you might ask is, who's it made by or who's chosen it? Ernest Gombrich, the uh, famous art historian, he said that there is no such thing as art. There are only artists. And the other thing you might ask is, where are you looking at it? You might think, is it in an art gallery? Because Duchamp, by the very act of bringing the urinal into the gallery context, was hoping that it would redefine this object as art. We all take photography now, it rains down on us like sewage from heaven, you know, the, the number of photographs we're all taking with our camera phones. But is this art? So I asked Martin Parr, the famous and brilliant photographer, can you give me a definition of art photography? And he said, well, he said, if it's more than two and a half metres high and it's worth more than £10,000, then it's probably art. And you are listening to Box 39 here on Colm Radio. And this, is, of course, is our house band live here in the studio, back from their break. This is Ausgang Exit with their latest song, Statues with Overly Long Thighs. I think the brass section is doing really well tonight. Well done, ladies and gentlemen. Keep going. And uh, we'll be talking about merchandise you can buy for um, Ausgang Exit later. So our show is all about art tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we are joined by a few listeners who've texted in. 
and uh, to say they're listening to the show, so you're very, very welcome. Uh, we've just heard from Mango Dread of uh, Shrabend. He's listening to us while he finishes his shift, driving the 18 bus from Colchester Station to St. Ozith, and he's wearing his double-bonded leather effect driving gloves with the Box 39 logo on, made exclusively for the Box 39 merchandise shop by Lord David Price Global Enterprises. Mike? Yep, the uh, subject this evening is art. A bit general, if you ask me. Too easy to fill our chats without getting too specific. I could recite poetry for 28 minutes. That would fill the gaps and fulfill the topic of the show. <laughs> no, no, you don't no, have to no, do No, you don't have to, Mike. No, you're right, Mike. I thought you requested that specially, <laughs> even though it would be on the performing side of the subject. I think I'm going to uh, interrupt you there, Mike. I suspect that in plucking this idea out of the air, our colleague... And uh, our present taskmaster, Mr. Lawrence, was expecting something slightly more diverse than your lovely poetry. I imagine there was an expectation that human activity in creating visual, auditory, and of course, performing artworks expressing imaginative, conceptual ideas and technical skill, um, probably with a little dose of emotional energy, was on his agenda. Would that be right, Mr. Lawrence? I've never had a very large agenda, Ian, you know that. Three classical broad branches of art are painting, sculpture and architecture. So what about music, theatre, film, dance and the other performing stuff there, Mike? Uh, well, they uh, fall into the broader modern definition of interactive art, as does literature and other interactive media. Oh. In fact, until the 17th century, art referred to any skill or mastery and was not differenti- differentiated from crafts or sciences. Okay, we live in Essex, so let's start with early local art. How about the Dagenham Idol? Ah, that's an old Ford Capri, isn't it? (laughs) Isn't it? No, no, no. The Dagenham Idol uh, is a wooden statue of a naked human form. In fact, it's the oldest um, human statue, or a statue in human form, found in the UK. It's found in Dagenham, dated to the early Bronze Age making it one of the uh, oldest human representations found in Europe. Statues made of Scots pine, stands about 18 inches tall. It's got two legs, no arms. It's got hips, a bum, otherwise known as buttocks, narrowing to a waist, and then broadening to shoulders and a rounded head. Right. There are some straight markings cut across both legs, and there's a hole. Am I allowed to say this on radio? Yeah, no one's listening. In the pubic region that can be interpreted Interpreted, yeah, interpreted. I think yeah. I meant to say interpreted. You just got carried away with that, didn't As you? As female. Now that does. That's, I, I, I did get your point. I mean, I've met a lot of people in Dagenham who do look like that, actually. Yeah, but I understood it was male, not oh, female. Oh, hang, uh, on. hang on. In early sculpture, the insertion of a peg would indicate a male. It could simply be that the peg was never found. Or rotted. But where was. All right, the peg was never found. Where was the idol found? Well, not many people know this, but it was uh, while excavating for sewer pipes in 1922 in an area that is now on the site of Ford Dagenham. Yeah, but if it was early Bronze Age, Mike, how far below the surface was it found? That's what I want to know. Well, it was buried in a layer of peat about three metres below ground level, buried with a deer as a fertility sacrifice. Was it a blind deer? No idea. Ugh. Was it a blind deer that had been rendered motionless? Still no idea. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. They're not getting any better, are they? Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa men have named you You're so like the lady with a mystic smile Is it only cause you're lonely they have blamed you For that Mona Lisa strangeness in your smile Do you smile to tempt a lover Mona Lisa Or is this your way to hide a broken heart? Many dreams have been brought to your doorstep They just lie there and they die there The reasons why many people rate the Mona Lisa so highly is because of Leonardo's study of the anatomy of the face particularly the muscles that create a smile. His use of the sfumato painting technique 
and his understanding of optics, whereby we see things differently when we look at them directly versus when we see them with our broader range or peripheral vision. The combination of these three create the effect that so entrances people about the painting, namely that the Mona Lisa appears to be smiling, and yet when we look directly at her to confirm this, the smile is less than it seemed to be at first glance. The same effect is also observed about her eyes that her gaze is upon us and follows us, and yet, upon closer observation for confirmation, she avoids directly looking at the viewer. All this tantalizes and creates a complex reaction as the viewer tries to understand the emotions of this woman in the painting. Are you warm? Are you real? Mona Lisa Are just a cold and lonely lovely work of art Mona Lisa Mona Lisa our community here in northeast Essex what really matters how different is life wherever we live they're building a new metro in Jaipur the ancient city in northwest India this transit system will be a mixture of new underground and overground trains and it should ease the congestion that seems to be permanently and slowly choking the old streets. One line of the new metro has already opened, bringing trains from the suburbs on rails mounted on concrete supports high above the buses, cars and tuk-tuks that snake slowly past me. It then plunges underground as it reaches the old pink city, the historic market centre of Jaipur. I walk past a dozen stalls packed with flowers of reds, pinks, yellows and whites. Men deftly thread these flowers into garlands. The aroma of these flowers is overwhelming and overpowers the smells of the traffic that passes within inches in places. Between two small shops, I find the entrance to a small Hindu temple. And it's nice to step into the quiet, shady courtyard of the temple. I'm joined by Tarek, a tall, bearded man, maybe 40 years old, wearing faded blue jeans, a long white shirt and shiny black shoes. He tells me that he is one of the congregation who worships there and he helps visitors to the temple. He guides me across the wide, white-walled courtyard with its well-maintained large plant pots of hibiscus with its lush, full-bodied blooms of scarlet and gold. Next to these are more pots, with musk roses growing several metres high. And the end of their branches are gorgeous and fragrant white flowers. And by some stone steps in one corner, a bunch of zinnias. Their bright cerise flowers, a haven for large powder blue and shimmering green winged butterflies. Tarek leads me up these twisting steps to a rooftop and I can see the old pink city stretched out for miles towards the pale, golden, sunlit mountains in the distance. Tarek tells me that many Hindus in this area are coming to the end of the celebration of the birth of Rama, the seventh incarnation of Lord Vishnu. And for many, including him, this has meant nine days of fasting between sunrise and sunset. Tomorrow, there will be parties and fireworks, and the bigger temples will be very busy at sunset, as processions of boys and girls will enter family homes to give blessings and receive gifts of money in return. He tells me about the different coloured dots that men and women paint on their foreheads. Yellow for fortune, and red for long life. Why don't you have a dot? I ask him. 
in this heat, he grins. With the amount that I sweat, it will be running down my face in no time. He laughs a lot as we return to the ground floor in the sunny courtyard, walking past frescoes of his gods, Shiva, Rama and Ganesh, in reliefs of pale yellows and blues and sea greens. He offers me a cup of chai masala tea, and we sit in a cool side room. His friend glides in with trays of trinkets, bed covers, and soon a whole mini bazaar of goods for sale. Tarek tells me that everything here is produced by a village cooperative not far from the border with Pakistan. This is what they do. It is good quality. I do not take a commission. All profits go to my temple, he says, condemning those in the marketplace nearby, who, he says, will attempt to sell shoddy goods made using chemical dyes, not proper vegetable dyes. And the patterns will be printed with silk screen printing, not proper wooden blocks. Tarek has made the smooth transition from helpful guide to honest salesman. And I'm a good customer. This temple even contains a portable Wi-Fi linked credit card machine to take my payment. And as the gods move in their mysterious ways, it's clear that they take both Visa and MasterCard. You're listening to Box 39, The Wall of Radio Sound, with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen and Ian Tallentire. We're live here in the studio. I hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, Adrian popped in. Adrian Cohen, he popped in and had a little chat there about Mona Lisa. I, I actually thought he was going to spend the whole show uh, out. He's doing a bit of security work uh, at the local pub uh, just to make ends meet. But he managed to get in, so thank you very much for Adrian. And hopefully we'll be hearing from you later. This is House Gang Exit. This is Painting by Numbers. Can be harder than you think. And uh, we're also joined by listeners who've texted in to say that they're listening to the show. And we're very, very pleased that uh, Donna, our old friend Donna from Norwich, has texted in. And she's sent us a picture by WhatsApp of her listening to us in her bath. And she's using the Box 39 Extra Large Back Scrubber, which has a picture of Housegang Exit's original pre-decimalisation lineup on its ergonomic porcelain effect handle, made exclusively for the Box 39 merchandise shop by Lord David Price Global Enterprises. And actually, if you look at that, boys, if I'm not mistaken, you can clearly see Donna's wonderful pair of large, cosy Box 39 bath towels in the background. You see those? Yeah, and they're on a special offer, actually, if you buy two. I think you should get half of a towel free. Yeah, well, we'll always do a special offer for Donna, because she's a a great fan. Anyway, we've chatted about sculpture, so uh, next, Ian, painting. Come on painting are we going to start at the beginning again you know like always start at the beginning yeah Yeah, very good place to start beginning middle and end cave paintings rock paintings and petroglyphs 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 yeah 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 come on boys get your history books out he's so clever a petroglyph is an image created by removing part of a rock surface Uh, you either cut it pick at it carve it or rub it away abrade it to form rock art dating back rock, roughly 40,000 years or so. It's impressive. Yeah, um, they, I've got meaning. Are they petroglyphs or are they just nice pictures? Simply pictures. <laughs> uh, not a very helpful answer, I'm afraid, that one, Bill. Uh, the precise meaning of this type of artwork is quite simply disputed because so little is known about the cultures that well, produced it in the first dispute. place. Get some historians together, well, you're guaranteed to have a dispute. Yeah, I mean, Ian, as an hour of all things, what are the oldest paintings found? The oldest paintings? No, I can tell you probably the oldest artefacts, 
I thought that was quite good. Not bad, hey? <laughs> not bad for a man um, of your age. All these art objects, and they're not paintings in the world, are evidently a series of tiny uh, snail shells which had holes drilled into them. Um, they're approximately 75,000 years old, and they were discovered in a South African cave, and they are thought to be paint containers. Well, that's very interesting. Not paintings, but, are the, but the, the, the s- containers of paint. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Never knew that. But, uh, Things you can find in South African caves. Yeah, yeah, Lucy. Hang paint on, pots. Hang, yeah. Hang on. Hang on. How did yeah. you, how DIY store hang soon. <laughs> Come on, Mike, spit well, it out. You know, I've just been waiting to ask this. How and where <laughs> did painting progress from rock? Um, probably need to look at the great ancient civilizations: Egypt, Mesopotamia, Persia, India, China. Are there any more? Oh yeah, the Greeks and the Romans. Um, to see the progression. I mean, obviously, there may have been gaps in the history of artwork, but those societies produced so much in the uh, way of artwork that there was a chance of survival and because of that survival of their artworks they've had more of an influence um, over other cultures into more modern times but surely the style developed over these ages Ian surely you know there must have been some development isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was the same so, I mean you think back to progress you know, and all that you know when you're standing on the Acropolis and you're being offered your souvenirs it's normally a little plate isn't it with almost near perfect human images because the Greeks set about perfecting the human physical form yeah. and the development of skills to show musculature, poise, beauty, and it was all pretty much anatomically correct. Oh, well, very well, but uh, in other areas of the world? Well, the Byzantine and medieval art of the Middle Ages, the emphasis was on biblical and religious culture and used styles that showed the greater glory of a heavenly world. I like that. I like that. Where, where does art, though, in the form of painting go from there? I mean, you've talked about your snail shells, and then they moved on to Greece, and we're, we're developing, but I think Mike, what's next? Mike's itching to say something. I've got it. It's uh, the Enlightenment. Exactly. Thank you. In roughly the 18th century, painting moved to depictions of the physical as well as politically revolutionary visions, such as Blake's portrayal of Newton as a divine geometer. As a divine what? As a divine geometer, it was a picture of Newton, but surrounded by, not surrounded by a heavenly host, but surrounded by geometric uh, equipment, mathematical equipment. Oh, nice. For staring at the stars. Nice. It was a little bit revolutionary (laughs) at its time. And this then progressed into the romantic and onwards to the movements such as academic art, symbolism, impressionism and foism, among others. Well, it's all names, movements and influences. And do you know what, Mike? You are so right. Because it's very difficult in... You know, the time we had allotted to discuss art in specific terms because, of course, it is a progression of exactly that. Styles, movements, influences. And in the 20th century, we ended up with almost endless possibilities in the forms of expressive painting, uh, cubism, dadaism, and ideas like communism and postmodernism exerting quite powerful I've got a real, I've got a realism. Socialist realism. Go on, then. I love it. No, that is it. That is socialist realism. That's the communist art that... that promoted the communist party well i've seen it on your bags and stuff which is why i mentioned it i do like a bit of i do like a 20th century dictator on my on my bags (laughs) it was uh, art in the service of the state under lenin then it all went to rather authoritarian under stalin of course it did do you know i i I know this guy theodore adorna and he said this is what he said it is now taken for granted that nothing which concerns art can be taken for granted anymore neither art itself not art in relationship to the whole, nor even the right of art to exist. Oh, it's all very well, but uh, what does that mean? I think you have to think long and hard about that one, Mike. I would suggest, yeah. if you like the subject, the setting, and the picture yourself, it probably means you should buy it. He was sitting in the lounge of the Empire Hotel. He was drinking for diversion. He was thinking for himself. A little money riding on the maple leaves. Along comes a lady in lacy sleeves. She says,
This is a song called Raised on Robbery by Joni Mitchell from her 1974 album Caught and Spark. Joni Mitchell is of course also an accomplished painter and her works fetch a pretty penny. Indeed, using Cone Radio Finance Department as a front and using taxpayers' money from Wivenhoe residents, Bill, Ian and Mike have purchased a large number of valuable Joni Mitchell original oil paintings. The missing paperwork for this is really not an issue because the paintings are being stored safely. Bill has five of them in his garage and another five at an undisclosed location. Mike did have two that he had hung on his walls at home until Bill suggested that they really ought to be kept out of sight and Ian is thought to have at least six stored in a lockup behind the station at Mark's Tay, which is rented by a shell company. Wivenhoe residents have thereby signalled their love of Joni Mitchell's art. the latest offering by Barnaby Crimp, a complex, challenging and yet ultimately rewarding work entitled Tempest Fugit. What to the untutored eye might look like a plain canvas daubed, if not encrusted in red paint, with the odd ironic mug ring on it, is in fact an exemplar of the postmodern minimalist movement, in which time itself is both suspended and fragmented through its representation in bold brushstrokes, layered this way and that, random yet highly structured, at once swaggeringly provocative yet introspective, the muggerings seemingly echoing arboreal age markers. The flaking off of the paint onto the floor, sheer brilliance of execution, emblematic of temporal decay and fragility, questions the very survival of humanity itself. This rather special work will be on display at the Wivenhoe Obelisk Gallery, fast becoming a lightning rod for the avant-garde, alongside the work of the Northeast Essex Painters and Decorators Guild, and is worth every penny of the eight pounds entrance fee, which includes a mug of bovril and a salmon paste sandwich. What's in it then? I'm Bill Lawrence, and you're listening to Ausgang Exit with a rather pleasing number called painting on the radio. Every one of the 16-piece band in us going exit playing in perfect time with each other there. Wonderful. Keep going, boys. Okay, thank you ever so much. You're listening to Box 39 or here on 106.6 FM, Colm Radio. And our show is all about art. And at the start of this show, Mike made a most extraordinary statement and decided to do one of the most extraordinary things I've seen a man of his age ever do. He started to, piece his, started to paint his piece. I'm, I'm so excited I can't speak. He started to, his piece of live art. Yes, we're doing live art. Yeah, tell me about it. This is award-winning radio. And he's doing a picture of the Box 39 show being made live here in Studio One at the mighty Cold Radio Towers. And, and he, he says he's going to have it ready by the end of the show. Now, Mike, how is your artwork going? Well, it's a lot of pressure and uh, I've had a few uh, false starts. For example, I spilt my coffee on the first one. You know, being creative in a spontaneous way isn't easy. No. Every, everything, nothing's easy, it's hard, isn't it? But worth doing, so I started again. My second one was going well until I sneezed. 
But this third one is really coming along nicely together. Thank but you Mike, very much. when can we move? I'm holding this full-size replica's pig head above my head without moving. It's really quite tiring, I have to say. It's and, starting to hurt. And the aircon is on so cold, Mike, so I guess to stop that pig's head smelling, when can we put our clothes back on? I'm getting quite stiff. Well, yeah, I couldn't help well, noticing that. Not for a while. I didn't know yet. where to look. Yeah. Well. Anyway, Mike... What is your picture called? It's called Naked DJs with Pig Heads. I like to think oh. it has Cubist influences. It's very much my tribute to Pablo Pig Castle. Oh, oh dear, 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 Bill, get off my foot. <laughs> well, you're just waving that thing around. I don't know. I had to turn suddenly. I thought I was going to get a slap. Now, here's a text from Sarah Sutton Scott Tucker. Sutton Scott Tucker. And she lives uh, in uh, Lower Gusset Hill in St. Osith. Someone has to. And she's got she's got a question for you, Mike. Uh, and her question is, um, why can you never trust an artist? I'm not sure, Sarah. Um, why can you never trust an artist? Because they're a bit sketchy, a little shady, and will always try to frame you. Well, well, thank you very much, Sutton oh, Scott good. Tucker. Like hey, hey, yeah. I've got one for you, Mike. I've got one yeah. from Barry from Stanway. Go I don't on. know if it's Barry with the van and the burger. I think anyway, it is. Yeah. He wants to know what happened when the artist tried to draw a cube. I think I'm going to ask him. Please tell me, Barry, what happened when the artist tried to draw a cube? He suffered from a mental block. Oh, thank you, Barry. Dear, dear, dear. I, I, I don't know how we stop these puns. They come, they come tumbling in. There's so many of them. Oh, God. Oh. Just to say, we've got another Ian in here, another guest. Go on, Ian. Off you go. I taught drawing for many years, and one of the finest, one of the most profound remarks was from a, a young child, a young girl, when asked about, they said, somebody said, how do you define drawing and she said well i think and then i draw a line around my sink <laughs> that's uh, very good Ian. that's uh, i like that well uh, i thought it was <laughs> picasso would have loved it it's very visual that one i understand picasso uh yes he was a great fan of radio wasn't yeah. he yeah meanwhile i was going to make a joke about my broken pencil but it's pointless <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, if it ain't, and if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Oh, carry on painting, Mike. And Ian, look, I'm going to have to turn the heating up here in the studios. I've never seen your hairpiece looking so small. Let's go! Imagine a painter crucified by his subject. Too exhausted even to lift his brush, he provoked some artists leaning from the buildings to malicious mirth. We haven't a prayer now of putting ourselves on canvas or getting the sea to sit for a portrait. But just as children imagine a prayer is merely silence, he expected his subject to rush up the sand and, seizing a brush, plaster its own portrait on the canvas. Others declared it a self-portrait. Finally, all indications of a subject began to fade, leaving the canvas perfectly white. He put down the brush. At once, a howl that was also a prayer arose from the overcrowded buildings. So there was never any paint on his canvas until the people who lived in the buildings put him to work. Try using the brush as a means to an end. Select for a portrait something less angry and large and more subject to a painter's moods or perhaps to a prayer.
Hello, I'm Bill Lawrence, and I want to tell you about my big bag of onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is on Colm Radio every Sunday from 10pm to midnight, and again on Monday nights from midnight to 2am. Words and music, spoken words and lyrics. What are the connections? You have to decide for yourself. Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Late night dreamscape radio for any time of the day. sitting on a, a roundabout opposite the house I used to live in. Well, I last lived in in 1981 and was sold by my parents when I was at university. Part of the show is to give us a sense of community and what it means to other people. So I'm going to give you a little rundown of what my community as a child was all about. And you also know that I love a little bit about history, so I'm going to give you a little bit of social history as well. So let's start with Letchworth, even though it's nowhere near the place I want to talk about, because Letchworth was the first of the Garden Cities, and it's this fact that so influenced my childhood. The town of Letchworth was laid out by a fellow called Raymond Unwin as a demonstration of the principles that were established by Ebenezer Howard, who sought to create an alternative to industrial cities by trying to combine the best of town and country living. As the first Garden City, it had a massive influence on future town planning across the world, not only influencing uh, places like Welland Garden City, but also the Australian capital Canberra, Hellaru in Germany, Tapanilla in Finland, and bizarrely, it's also thought that it affected the town planning in Stalingrad because Stalin actually visited England when he attended the Congress of the Russian Bolshevik Party um, in the UK um, as that party was banned in the Russia at the time. So I hear you ask where is this going? Well actually I'm not going to tell you just yet. Let's have a little bit more social history. In 1898, um, the social reformer Ebenezer Howard, who I mentioned earlier, wrote a book called Tomorrow, A Peaceful Path to Real Reform, in which he proposed the construction of a new kind of town, summed up by a diagram of three magnets. And this image was created to show that life should have three elements to it. Industry was to be kept separate from the residential areas. Trees and open spaces were to be everywhere and it was to combine the advantage of city and countryside while eliminating any disadvantages. His ideas, which were totally derided in the press, were picked up by the arts and crafts movement and the Quakers, and they moved these principles forward. Now, according to the book, the term garden city derived from the image of a city being situated within a a belt of open countryside. I guess what we would now refer to as green belt. And this area of green was particularly important because it was meant to contribute significantly to food production for the population of the garden city. Now, just for historic purposes, I have to mention that Letchworth was also the home of the United Kingdom's first roundabout, and that was actually constructed in 1909. So that's the background. So why my interest? Well, I was lucky enough to spend all my formative years, other than a brief spell in Texas, living at number 10, Meadow Bank, one of the 262 properties making up the estate of Chaltonville in Manchester. This estate was conceived by two local businessmen, a guy called James Dawson and another fellow called William Vowles, and they were using the same principles of the Garden City. And this estate was built between 1910 and 1911. And at that time, distance of four miles, which it was from the city centre, meant there was green space around the estate and the building of a local railway station meant that commuting had become possible to that area. Now, the objectives in building the estate were to provide beautiful, healthy, conveniently planned homes with plenty of light and abundance of fresh air to assist health by the provision of wide open spaces, giving accommodation for healthy outdoor recreation, providing a bowling green, tennis courts and otherwise providing for the social well-being of the tenants. 
the houses were actually supplied with both gas and electricity, so that part of the house was lit by one and part by the other. The creation of this estate was truly inspired by the arts and crafts movement and the builders attempted to make Chalkenville like a rural village using various techniques. All the streets are curved and winding, emulating country lanes. There are grass verges between the roads and the pavements. There are some 360 trees in the public area. The house styles are diverse. Each pair of semis matches one another, but they're all slightly different from the other pairs in the same street. There's use of architectural details such as bay windows, various finishes on gable ends and under windows, and there was loads of stained glass on the windows at the fronts of the properties. Um, actually, most of the features still survive today, with all the original houses pretty much standing. The 12 roads that make up the estate are centred on two village greens, one of which I'm sitting on now. The Mead and the Rotunda, where I am, are both dominated by horse chestnut trees. The estate and the adjoining football field, which was part of the original bowling green and playground for the inhabitants of the estate, is now one of Manchester's 32 conservation areas. Both the Mead and the Rotunda have operated as two-way roundabouts from the day the estate opened, and I and my friends used to love watching visiting cars with their drivers confused and bewildered by oncoming traffic. Listening to House Gang Exit, our live house band here at Colm Radio Towers, once more uh, on Box 39 on 106.6 FM. Now, this is a, a wonderful new record from them, a new piece of music, and this is called The New Buildings of Dresden. So thank you for Ian for that contribution there. Uh, wonderful bit, Ian. Very architectural. I like it. And uh, I enjoyed that very much. And thank you also for a number of people that we heard from, including Venetia. Uh, and it's uh, it's been a while since we've heard from Venetia. So thank you very much. Now, we're talking about art. Art is what it's all about. And just before we talk a little, about, a little bit more art, it's a bit of something you can all access. Every one of you listening can access our new Christmas collection of Box 39 merchandise online. Can I, can I just uh, stop you there, Mr. Uh, is it all about sales tonight? There should have been a warning at the beginning of the programme if all we're doing is flogging merchandise. No, it's a contractual obligation, Ian. And you should know that because with your contract with Lord David Price, you know how he works. I haven't read that one. Uh, I suggest Is that you read small print. <laughs> There's a lot very, of that. Very, very small There's print. There's a lot of that. Anyway, if you've successfully registered for the Lord David Price Enterprises Offshore Business Credit Card, you get uh, exclusive uh, use of the last five pages of the Christmas catalogue that no one else can see. And believe me, I've seen them and they're marvellous. Anyway, I have the Box 39 catalogue up on my phone right here. Now, Mike, just choose a letter of the alphabet. And uh, we'll see what's available at an unbeatable price. Okay, I have a quick Any letter. Take, uh, what, Any. what impresses me uh, about... What letter do you like? Um, B. Uh, Bauhaus is fantastic. Do no, you like B? B? Uh, B, B, B. Okay, B, let B, me yeah. just... Now, the Lord David Price box 13 of a merchandise under B. The first thing we got there, something that actually is very, very popular. It's a banana protector. Banana protector? Yeah. It's made from 100% acrylic combed steel, and it fits around even your biggest banana and will protect it from any unexpected spillages or tears. And it's only nine ninety nine. Uh, comes in an exclusive 100% but a polyester. Only costs 30p. Well, this is the protector. But look, look it's an exclusive 100% polyester carry case, and it's got all our faces machine embroidered oh, on I'd it. I'd buy it then. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm in. You're in. So hurry up before that those shoot off the shelf, which they will do. Now let's continue with art, and in particular, A for architecture. Oh, well, is this going to be another discussion on style over substance? I guess that depends on uh, where are building expert goes with it. You never know, we might end up talking about dam construction on the basis of Whaley Bridge. Hey, Bill. 
Well, I know I'd like to discuss... Uh, we're not going to talk about that. No, I'd like to discuss the Romans' contribution to architecture. Was it Romans? That's a bit specific. What do you reckon, Mike? Well, a bit Monty Python, if you ask me. <laughs> what did the Romans ever do for us? Law and order. Money. The easy release from fastening toga. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Central heating. No, the answer, architecturally speaking, gentlemen, is cement. Cement. The sticky stuff that holds our lives together. The Romans used new materials. They particularly liked uh, a bit of concrete. And they used newer technologies such as the arch and the dome to make buildings that were typically strong, well-engineered. Now, as we all know, large parts of these structures remain in some form across uh, across Europe, bits of Asia, North Africa. They're there. Well, what do you call a place where concrete is buried? I can't think, Mike. Uh, what do you call a place where concrete is buried? A cemetery. Do you get it? A oh, cementary. Oh, no, don't just worry. Have to spell no, Mike, don't worry. The go. nurse will be back soon yeah, for you. Don't worry. She's just popped out for a cigarette. Carry so, off. on a more serious note, did the Romans develop the arch as a result of inventing concrete? No. The ancient Romans were the first to apply the arch technique to a wide range of structures, bridges, buildings, and, of course, celebratory arches. Isn't that meant to be celebratory? It could be well celebratory. Well, I don't think yeah, they, they didn't t- have too many. Well, apart Mike, from emperors, he had celebrators, <laughs> celebrities. Didn't it's they? his teeth, Mike. Well, uh, Mike, yeah, this the, is his yeah, teeth. The, the glue word, not working. The, the Romans <laughs> didn't use that word much. The, <laughs> the earliest of decent. I came, I saw, I celebrated. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I concreted. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I would okay, get on with it. You made a joke. Okay, I can take it. The earliest adhesive for bricks in arches was a simple lime mortar. The Romans developed cement from this, and this allowed for strong, long, live buildings to be accepted. <laughs> you realise every time you get a word wrong, that's another round you've got to buy during the next oh, show. I How many? Is that ten rounds tonight? We're in for a long <laughs> session. I try, so, so okay. I try it again if it's only a half. Strong, <laughs> long, lived buildings to be constructed. Beautifully and eloquently put, Mike. So, now, yeah. okay, question. So what about the dome? You know, you've talked about um, the arch. I mean, we've seen the Pantheon and the size of the dome, but who developed if who developed it if the Romans didn't? Domes come from Mesopotamia. And where is Mesopotamia? We mentioned that earlier as well, and I wasn't sure. Well, it's uh, Western Asia, so think uh, today it would be Iraq, most of Iraq, a little bit of Syria, a little bit of Iran, a little bit of Turkey. <laughs> Quite honestly, Bill, that sounds like trouble. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it came out of this region about 10,000 B.C., a long time ago, and there was the invention of the wheel, uh, first cereal crops, and the first writing in and, and maths. There was a lot of maths and astronomy, not to be confused with astrology. So did they have cornflakes oh. then, cereal crops? Yes, I think the Frosties were the first ones. Oh, Just okay. developed, it came yeah. in the winter, didn't they, the Frosties? Yeah, we're moving on. Um, wherever Mesopotamia is, one thing is for sure, there really is no place like Dome. Oh, come yeah. on. Matthew, Mark, John and Lou. This is a song called Unrepentant Geraldines. It is the title track of Tori Amos's 
14th studio album and was inspired by an etching by the 19th century Irish artist called Daniel MacLeese. Ms. Amos explained that the etching was of this woman called Geraldine, looking all penitent, like Titian's paintings of Mary Magdalene, and it got her thinking about the way that wayward women in art have to be penitent. She was sure that Geraldine would have been really good fun to hang out with. But why does the heart have a problem with female hedonism? Why can't we have unrepentant Geraldines? It's box 39. And for the last time tonight, Else Gang Exit playing here live in the studio on Kong Radio. And this is a song called The Gallery, The Hors d'Oeuvres and The Trots. I think that's a real development. I think Ausgoing Exit are striding forward across the, the world of music. They're breaking through barriers. They're like a, a riderless horse, uh, st- sort of galloping. I'm loving them tonight. Come on, boys. So, you are listening to Box 39. This is our show all about art. And don't forget, keep listening because uh, Mike will reveal all with his live piece of painting that he's been beavering away at in the studio for the whole of the show. I will reveal. And uh, before we uh, talk a little bit longer about art, of course, just to inform you, as uh, I'm contractually obliged to, that all listeners can access our new Christmas collection of Box 39 merchandise online. All you have to do, very easy, sign up online, get yourself... Uh, the new Lord David Price Enterprises Payment Protection Insurance. And uh, I've got the uh, Box 39 catalogue back up on my phone. Ian, your turn to choose a letter, and we'll see what anyone can buy from that. Uh, A, B, C, D, E. Uh, go on, go for G, mate. G, OK. Yeah, G, uh, as in... That comes after f- M. Huh? No, it's golf. It comes after Foxtrot. Oh, yes, sorry, hotel. yes. Yes, uh, sorry. I, I, I get the M bit muddled up, like mosque and mosquito, they're next to each other in the alphabet. I get a bit muddled. So, G, let me see. Something that has been literally, literally flying out of Lord David Price Enterprises warehouse recently. It's the Box 39 glow-in-the-dark toilet paper made from 100% ethically approved and recycled vegetable-based ingredients. This toilet paper can be used even if the bulb in your toilet's failed. And uh, we're offering a buy one, get one free for the rest of this month. It's another great Box 39 merchandise bargain, gentlemen. So it's a true bog-off, then? (laughs) Yeah, bog-off. To the bog. uh, To your bog. So, uh, well, the Romans, they they, they loved a toilet as well, didn't they? So let's get back to those Romans. They're beautifully linked. You see, all the connections are wonderful. It's almost like we uh, prepare these shows, isn't it? Romans and public toilets. Well, let's talk about their beautiful very architecture. Isn't it? Let's talk so, about their, no, let's talk about their beautiful okay, architecture. Okay. If the Romans only invented one architectural structure, or one element of that, sticking it together, how can so much importance be given to Rome's contribution to architecture, then, Mr. Lawrence? Come on. Well, it's massive public buildings, wasn't there? Civil engineering, uh, significant developments in housing and public hygiene, public toilets, private baths, latrines, underfall heating, piped hot water and cold hot. It's an endless list. It is indeed, and uh, we're very uh, fortunate uh, in Colchester because we can see the arch in use in a very Roman way at the Hole in the Wall pub uh, in their very own uh, town. How about that? It's supposed to be a guardhouse, but it looks like a very large arch. Well, well, um, I know. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's think about the uh, the Romans. They weren't just about aqueducts, were they? Uh, what other things were the Romans about? Like? 
Mike. They were about oh. uh, sanitation, S- uh, sanitation, roads, irrigation, uh, nettles. Uh, you mean medicine? Cats, rabbits. Education. No, they introduced yeah, yeah. nettles and they introduced rabbits and snails as well. Because all in one meal, surely not. Wine, public baths. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the exclusively the easy release front fastening toga. That was never in the original Monty Python script. Now, Mike, I see you've finished your picture of the Box 39 show being made here in Studio One at Com Radio Towers. Mike, c- can I put my clothes back on now, please? Well, you can, because... Or uh, can Ian put his clothes back on, more yeah, to the point? Well, yeah. Well, it just, is to the point. Uh, I've had enough of uh, Ian without clothes, so uh, it's all done. My art is complete. Turn your easel round. Let's have a look. Oh. Blimey, I wasn't expecting that. Were you, Ian? No, what's that big thing sticking out? Uh, that's your hairpiece, Ian. Well, it's Mike. Mike, it's indescribable. I am literally lost for words. And that doesn't happen very often. It's it's nothing like I've ever seen, Mike. I, nothing like I've ever imagined. It's unique, Mike. What is it? This, ladies and gentlemen, this is my creation. Behold it, my art. If only we were on TV, our listeners could become viewers. It's worth changing over to TV just for that. He painted Salford smoke it up Some cardboard boxes from the shop And parts of ankles where I used to play Painted matchstock men and matchstock cats and dogs Yeah, I'm, I met Andy Warhol once. Yeah, it was uh, it was before he died, and we were in Japan and in Tokyo, and we were, we checked into a kind of a cheap and cheerful business hotel, and uh, we were taken up to the room. And uh, we were told to, to ring down to reception if, uh, if there was anything that we needed. Or... And so we looked around and we checked the shower and checked the air conditioning. And uh, it seemed to be okay. A bit of a problem with uh, the curtain. And, and there was some, uh, some porn on the TV and I didn't want Andy Warhol to watch it. So I rang down to the reception and I said, uh, do you think you could send somebody up to fix our curtain? And uh, I'd like the, the, the porn disabled. And they said, uh, we only have regular porn, you creep. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol looks a scream. Hang him on my wall. Andy Warhol, silver screen. Can't tell them apart at all. So, while we're still on the air, this has been our Box 39 Art Special with me, Bill Lawrence, Ian Tallentine, Mark Harwood, Adrian Cohen, and last but not least, our live house band, House Gang Exit. The piece of work produced by Mark is, Mike rather, is on eBay. Have a look. Stay with us for Red Button here on Colm Radio. Later, even conversation with our special guest, artist Ian Hay. So, from high up here in Studio One on the fourth floor of Cone Radio Towers, we're looking out over the full and fertile lands of North East Essex. It's time for us once more to close Box 39. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Andy Warhol looks a scream, hang him on my wall. Andy Warhol, silver screen, can't tell them apart at all. Box 39 has been a Guppy production for Cone Radio.